0: Hey everyone, before we get to the episode, I'd like to share a little word with you from our sponsors, Odds Crowd. Are you the best football better in the United States? At Odds Crowds, our friends are challenging you to prove it this fantasy season with their epic free-to-play fantasy betting contests. One of my favorite things to do is be betting and not actually have to lose any actual cash. There's over $30,000 in cash prizes up for grabs both season-long and weekly contests on NFL and college football. Here's how it works. Once you enter a contest, you place risk-free fantasy bets against real odds and lines, much like you would with any pick tracking app. The most profitable players are rising up the leaderboard. If you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, you win. And? odds crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests it's a social app for sports betters free to download you can live group chat with other betters track your pets and set up private fantasy contests with your buddies and much more so download the app for free or go to oddscrowd.com.
1: of Rookie on the Rise. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, cats, dogs, aliens, dudes, dudettes, hedgehogs, what's up? How are we doing? It's great to be here. Super thrilled to have my friend, Mr. Jacob on from the Twitter. This man is probably one of the few people that when he tells me, I am dumb, I listen and I listen closely. You can find Jacob on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. He's a co-founder of the Dynasty Tilt. He's an elite analyst at Roto Underworld, and when he speaks numbers, everyone and the
2: mama is listening. <laughs> Jacob, how the hell are we doing today, my friend?
1: I'm doing great, man.
2: Uh, look, there's nothing better to do right now than sit and talk some football with you. We got a nice lazy Sunday here in the Van. It's a little bit rainy, it's a little bit drizzly, uh, and I'm just excited for the draft. I'm doing my first startup right now with actual rookies involved, not like kickers that were pretending are rookie picks and all that stuff. So it's fun, man. Um, I'm pumped off for of the draft. We're starting our rookie countdowns in just over a week, over a full tilt. I'm diving more into this class every day. This is this is the best time. It truly is the best time. I I
1: timed my startup strategy poorly. Uh, I've done three this off season, and I I don't know what to do for the next six months. Man, I wish I'd only
2: done three. I'm, I'm an addict. I can't I can't stop with the
1: startups. This is a problem. It is a problem, and luckily my fiance is like, listen, you have a problem, and we're going to get under control. And uh, I, I capped it at 7 because I feel that right now I'd rather have, have some that I care about than more that I just do for the fun of drafting and stuff. Because startups are just, they're so damn fun. So damn fun. Uh, so I recommend you guys doing a startup with rookies pre-draft because you get some mm. wild, 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 wild values. Like, oh there's yeah. Zamir White going running back 4 out of the rookies. And Brian Robinson mm-hmm. going running back 5.
2: I, just, I mean, I, I think... I think that that's like that kind of viable, like. So I I think it's it's kind of a, I don't know I'm, I'm stuck in this weird spot with both the well all, all the positions really, but especially with running backs, uh, where so much of it is is just dependent on draft capital and the situation and opportunity. Like I like I don't like Zemir White like as a prospect all that much. I like him a little bit better after the combine, but I still I still don't think he's very good. Uh, I I really don't like Brian Robinson, but. Yeah, I've been doing like, especially these best ball drafts, I've been doing, I'm not quite as into the super flex ones, honestly, but in, in the previous, like the first uh, big board I've been doing, and I, I talked about this on David Gotiri's podcast, where the guys that I actually really like, like I, uh, I really like Rashad White, Um, I I like him far less after the Combine, but I, I was not that, uh, sorry, I, I love not Rashad White, I like Rashad White a lot more after the Combine, I was going to see the other guy that I liked a little bit was Kyron Williams, who obviously after the Combine, I, I, R.I.P. Rest in peace. But, um, like, these guys are going way up there, and I was like, I don't necessarily know, like, you know, what the draft capital is going to be, especially White, like, I think he was being drafted as the RB5, I want to say, on, on these underdog tournaments, and I love Rashad White, like, if, if he gets drafted in round two, which won't happen, but if he did, he would be my RB2 in the entire class, I, I love him, uh, but I expect him to be drafted in, like, round four, <laughs> yeah. which is the mock drafts say, um. And I expect, you know, Zamir White is a guy who, like, will probably be drafted ahead of Rashad White. And he was going, like, undrafted prior to the Combine. Um, you know, James Cook, a similar one. And people were drafting, like, these guys like Tyler Algier and Jerome Ford. Like, just these guys that are Twitter darlings that the NFL doesn't care about. And that's, that's like, the biggest edge to me is I just want to backload. Like, when we actually, when, when I'm doing these pre-draft, I just want to, like, arbitrage draft capital, right? So like Jahan Dotson is a guy at wide receiver who when the when the big board first opened up, he was going as like the wide receiver 10, um, like really late. And it's like he's might go in the first round of the NFL draft. And I don't really love Jahan Dotson. Like we'll talk a lot about the wide receivers that I talked about today, who tend to who are all like early declare hyper productive guys that um I love statistically, and that's not Dotson. But I know for a fact that after we do the NFL draft, like Dawson's gonna be going higher than David Bell in ADP. Um, and then if I want to take my David Bell super late, then I can do that, and then I can fade Dotson at a higher cost because I've already jammed him at the lower cost, uh, and that's kind of how I want to spread out my exposure. So I just want to take advantage of these chances pre-draft to, to get exposure to guys that I will probably not want to draft after the draft, but just based on like the general probabilistic nature of fantasy football, like anybody could hit, you know. So I, I don't ever want to be like, I don't ever want to be the guy that's like. No, I know who's good and I know who's bad, and so I'm not drafting this guy even when it's a screaming value and it will be more expensive later. Like I, I want to just, I want to get all my exposure to everyone at the most profitable point that I can. I think that, I think that we just don't know all that much, and we, we should be really, really probabilistic with how we think about these guys. Absolutely, I and the sort of i in right
1: now, Rashad White, running back thirty, and at that point, what? Yeah, I know. Great. It's I mean, it is insane. I. Oh was, wait wait
2: wait running back thirty like overall, running back thirty in the class. Like so running back fast. running back thirty out of all NFL players.
1: Okay, yeah. I mean it's still a little insane, comes, let's be honest. It
2: comes down it comes down to the to the draft capital. Like yeah. if he goes for round forty, he will not be ranked in my top thirty. Or sorry, if he goes round four, he will not be ranked in my top thirty. Like I mean he might never play. Like, yeah. I, like I I don't know, like it, it really depends on like a lot of this with running back is kind of draft capital landing spot. And it's easy to remember when people have a big hit, right? So, like, Elijah Mitchell was the guy that I was on last year. I, I really liked him in my pre-draft ranks. He was in my top five. Um, and I, and I, it was kind of how I felt about Rashad White, where I, I looked at Mitchell. I was like, I really like this guy. I don't imagine the NFL is going to like him as much as I do. But what I have to remember is, is the denominator. Like, Drew always talks about this. Drew Ozenchak, who uh, the Bulletproof encounter, I mean, his patron. Like, he always talks about the denominator, and it's true. Like, another guy that I really liked similarly to Mitchell this time last year was Jermar Jefferson. And he went round seven and lost his third string job to Craig Reynolds. Like, so most of the time, the guys that you love that the NFL then drafts on day three, like, they're not good. You know, like a lot of people really loved Kylan Hill, right? Like, he, he's never going to happen. That's, that's um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of another example. Oh, two, two years ago, like, I can say, like, yeah, I was on a podcast, and, like, James Robinson's like a really interesting undrafted free agent. Like, uh, I would like to grab him off waivers. And obviously, it pays off in a massive way. But also, if you'd ask me pre-draft, like, who I really loved, I love Darrington Evans, you know? And, like, he just got caught by Tennessee. Um, so, it's like, people, like, you're going to be wrong more often than you're right. And even guys that have a good track record on late-round running backs, and I would say that I do, honestly. But, like, even guys, e- even among, like, those guys, you have to really look at it from, like, a, a spray-and-pray kind of approach. Like, if you just kind of pick one guy, and you're just like, I'm, dra- I'm going all-in on this guy, like, it's, it's usually going to be bad news bears for you. Um, <laughs> And and certainly like I'm I'm more inclined, honestly, to root against my favorite players getting good draft capital, which is kind of counterintuitive. But like I don't want especially running backs, not wide receivers, but running backs, um, I want the guys that I love to be drafted late where I can leverage the field of very little opportunity cost. So like I, I would love it if Rashad White goes in round five to some terrible landing spot. Uh, and then I'll just draft him, like, everywhere, and I'll, and I'll draft him up I'm in 60% of my leagues, like, as a late third, and I'll just, like, try and, like, collect late thirds by chucking in boring veteran wide receivers and just <laughs> take the guy. And then if he doesn't hit, he doesn't hit. It doesn't cost me anything. But what you never want to draft are, like, the guys who get pushed up the board because they're round three picks in these good landing spots. Like, I mean, gosh, that like, it was Sermon and Carter last year, and Carter looks like he might be a moderate hit, but Sermon obviously is a massive bust. You know, the previous year we saw, like, Zach Moss and Keyshawn Vaughn get pushed up in this way. I mean, we have like just two mega busts, right? Like, it, I I kind of want that to be the guys that I don't want, right? Like, that's what right. I want this fight to be. I want Samir White to go round three to the Dolphins, and then I want like people to draft him in the early second, and, and then I want to say, okay, great, I got my early shares in Best Ball when he was free, and I will never think of him or draft him again. Like that's that's what I want out of those guys. So I'm I'm really rooting against um, my my favorite players at this point because I don't. I don't want to have to draft Rashad White. Like, the difference in Rashad White's hit rate from being, like, a, an early round four pick in a bad landing spot versus, like, a late round three pick in a good landing spot is just way, way less than the difference in what the cost will be. Because, like, at the end of the day, the biggest variable still is, like, can this guy play? And, and we, don't, we don't know if he, like, him going late three or him going early four is not that big of a difference in, like, can he play? And then the other thing, too, is it's like, okay, what's the payoff if he hits? So is he more likely to, like, produce RB3-level production if he goes late round three? Sure. But does that actually matter? Right? Like, Zach Moss was that guy for, like, a year and a half. Like, by virtue of simply landing in Buffalo, like, we got games where we were able to start Zach Moss. And that's cool. But he was also horrible. Um, right? And then, and so he never elevated to further production. Um, and, like, yeah, even, even if Rashad White lands in, like, a shitty spot. Uh, or any of them, any of these guys that you like, if they land in like, a crappy spot and they go on day three, like, the ceiling doesn't really change. Like, they, they just need more like, things to break for them. But all running backs essentially need some level of good fortune in order to break for them. In. But can they actually pay off if, if those things break? And we don't know that, but I would like, rather pay a much smaller price to find out, is what I'm
1: saying. I agree. And I think, I mean,
2: yes, yes,
1: yes, WS yes and yes, right? All, all these things are, are 100, 100% true. Uh, and, you know, from the start of this podcast, you think we're talking about running backs, and I am thrilled to say that we're not. And I'm actually really excited to talk about the guys that you want to talk about, because they're probably, they names that are hot in the cycle, or have been hot in the cycle thus far, right? So, we're going to start with Drake London, who's currently projected first-round draft capital, overall 19th pick by the NFL mock draft database. People are, there's whispers saying he could be wide receiver one out of this draft. It's certainly likely. First question is: How much do you care about Drake London's pro day?
2: Oh, I mean, not at all, actually. Like literally zero. Uh, Unless he like comes out and runs like a four eight and gets drafted in round three or something. But um, no, I I don't care about London's in the slightest. I uh, I don't like athletic testing at wide receiver is just like not a thing that I care about in terms of my own like projections. Um, I care about it from the standpoint of that the NFL cares about it. And so I think that it matters that it's, we always talk about the double count, right? And I think that people usually use the double count in a way that says like, okay, we expected this guy to be slow. And then they ran slow. And so we're double counting. Right. So like David Bell, for instance, is an example of this where like, I don't think anyone expected him to blaze. Like he that's not how he wins, you know, and then he comes out and he's not that athletic. And then, you know, people are saying like, Oh, don't double count this. We already, we already knew that he wasn't that athletic. And that's part of it. I think the other part of the double count is like when people say like the combine testing doesn't matter, um, I disagree with that. I think the combine testing does matter. It's just it matters in a way that's already factored in. Like it matters to the NFL and then they make draft capital decisions because of it. And so if you're already accounting for draft capital in your process, whether that's just like a model or whether that's just looking at a bunch of things, like whatever that is, if you already care about draft capital, I don't think you need to add like combine testing on top of that because it's a major factor in draft capital. And there's, that's why combine testing doesn't show up as actionable. Um, aside from draft capital, because, like, you're going to get, like, if a player is not that athletic, and they still draft them in round one, then, then the NFL is, like, the NFL isn't blind to their athletic testing. It's not, it's not a plus. They're just like, oh, this guy's so good that he can win in spite of limited athleticism. If a guy is super athletic, and he gets drafted in round six, like, the NFL is saying, like, yeah, this guy's literally just an athlete, and he can't play football, right? So, that that's why like there's there's no real difference between athletic guys or not athletic guys when you already sort for draft capital, and so this is a long way of saying for London that his expectations athletically are not that high anyways. This is not like a Traylon Burke situation. So unless he just like literally can't move, um, I'm not that worried about it because I don't think that I don't think the NFL expects that much, uh, and they've been mocking him as the, as like the second wide receiver off the board by consensus anyway. So. Like worst case, maybe he falls to the late one instead of like the mid one. But I think he's going in round one no matter what. So yeah, if he if he runs in like the four sixes and people freak out and then like draft him less in fantasy, then that's great by me because I'm I'm all about him.
1: Yeah, I it's funny because Traylon Burks, I was so disappointed because you know this entire up until the combine we were being built as a Debo Samuel, AJ Brown type athlete. You know, quick, elusive, able to make those do all those things that you want the new alphas to do. And then he mm-hmm. comes and doesn't do anything like horrible. He just doesn't break away like British Hall broke away into running back rings. And so, like honestly, if Drake London produces similar a similar stat line to Traylon Burks. I'd be a lot happier with that than yeah. vice versa, which I think is kind of what we're talking about here. Drake London, he's a three years uh, he's three years in college at USC. He's coming out. He's gonna be twenty years old, moving into the uh, coming into the NFL season. He had. Went 2,153 total yards, 160 receptions, 15 total touchdowns. Quite frankly, he was an utter beast at USC's first two years. And a lot of that was because he was basically being used as like a bubble screen and short yardage type of guy. His ADOT, those first, his first year ADOT was 8.9. And in 2020, his ADOT was 12 because Michael Pittman left. And so he started to move up a little more. And then we, me, Corey, and Brandon did a breakdown of London into the 2021 season. And we are like, he's got all the tools. They're just not using him as a wide receiver. He's not, like he's 6'5. He yeah. shouldn't be used with a short eight. I like, I want to see him down the field. And then he literally goes on and just utterly smashes the Pac 12 119 targets, 88 receptions, 1,084 yards. And at, eight games. Yeah, mm-hmm. and eight games. Like, the dude was unfucking real. So, like, what are some things that step out to you analytically and just in general with Drake London that makes you so excited for his upside?
2: Yeah, I mean, in Pretty much perfect. Well, okay, perfect with one caveat. So the I think like the biggest um there's like two sort of divides I think that really affect this class in terms of how people process things analytically. Um and I'm kind of a, a person that just like kind of amalgamates and I and I kinda of tend to split the middle on it a little bit just because I'm I think I think people draw like a little bit too certain conclusions from relatively small samples and potentially noisy ones. And those are like A should we adjust per game um, when people miss time due to injury or opt out or something like that? Uh, And then another one is, should we use age or experience? Um, And in general, I'm an experienced over age person, um, aside from like maybe just as a tiebreaker. Uh, And then in general, I do adjust for per game. And I know that people have ran the sample and they say like, Oh, it's more predictive if you use total. And I think there's a lot of times where data could look more predictive um, without necessarily being more actionable. Like, an example of this is, like, targets per route run versus um, target share, where, like, target share is more predictive. But that's because there's just a lot of players who we should be able to look at their targets per route run and say, like, yeah, of course, they're just not going to get more routes because they're, like, a total gadget player or they're not that good or whatever. Um, but if you're, like, able to actually use a little bit of common sense and dive into the context, like, what are players that actually might get more routes? And then if we think about, like, okay, what's the payoff if, if they do, then I think that that can sometimes be a more actionable stat. And so I feel, I feel a little bit similarly with this per game versus season total. So where I'm going with all this, for anyone who's not aware, Drake London um, had a very serious ankle injury uh, in his eighth and final game of the season. He was on pace to absolutely smash like he was leading. Uh, uh, he, was basically, he was the most productive wide receiver in America this year. Um, his yards per team pass attempt was rolling. His yards per run was rolling. All, all that stuff uh, was potentially going to be top of the class. And then if you solely look at his like, the season totals, he looks kind of uninspiring analytically because he played with a lot of competition in his first two years. Uh, and he also just had a really weird second year where they played like six games at USC. So it's just kind of really noisy. Um, and so he, he like, broke out-ish uh, the first two years. And then this massive breakout in the third year was cut short. Uh, if you go to per game, then he looks pretty much awesome Like from an analytical perspective. He, he's a early declare. He's super young. He's only 20 years old. Massively productive as a junior. He was productive enough as a freshman, and then especially as a sophomore, playing next to, as you said, Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vons, who is also a really productive college receiver. So I like London a lot. L- London right now is my wide receiver one in the class. I think he has the fewest question marks just in terms of like his analytical profile is everything that we want. It doesn't really have any holes to me, and you know I think he's gonna get. He's younger than Burks, and he's gonna go higher in the NFL draft than Burks most likely. So it really comes down to those two. But to me, like you know, I'm not even sure that athleticism matters all that much at wide receiver, independent of draft capital. And the big allure of Burks over London has seemingly been athleticism, um, and and that I don't think that the gap's that large based on what we've seen out of Burks so far. So it, it is London for me at one. Uh, and I, I really really love this prospect I think he's everything that we want to see and uh and i'm and I'm excited to address some of like the concerns around him from some people in the film community
1: yeah I think you know
2: i i I like
1: that with the film community and by and large and granted it's not everyone in anyone but there's a lot of like, their own sort of double counting right like there's a lot of things that they view that are used against prospects two times instead of one time and I feel like we both have a tendency, analytics and film, to focus more on the negatives instead of the positives, like what a prospect can't do instead of what they can do, which we know by the NFL standards, they're the exact opposite. They just care what you're able to do. And, you know, Drake London being 6'5, he uh, weighed in, he didn't or he weighed in at 219 with that. Yeah, he came in 6'4. Yeah, six, three point in the yeah, like that, like, yeah, which is phenomenal. Like, I was more That's worried great. he was 6'5 than anything else, to be completely honest. So, like, Six three two nineteen. That's exactly what you want. He had a yards per team pass attempt of three point eight one. His last, his best season, which is the ninety eight percent. I was fucking sexy to be completely honest with you. So like, I think the point you brought up about Burks in in London being separated by oh, athleticism is now basically a null point. And now it just depends like, what do you want more out of your rookie prospect? Do you want someone that is been able to exempt or has been able to show that they've been dominant? Short and long, and have been able to play sort of all over the formation. You know, like uh, London played ninety eight percent, ninety two percent in the slot his twenty nineteen and twenty twenty season, and then he went dominated out wide his senior season, where Traylon Burks has predominantly been a slot wide receiver at Arkansas. So I think you know I think there's a real strong case to be made for Drake London sharing a ranking spot with Traylon Burks, if not exceeding him. What are some what are some concerns you've been hearing about or about London that you think are kind of far fetched and and wrong?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't even know necessarily about like far fetched, but I, I guess just maybe like overweighted. So I think that the biggest pe- thing that people have said with London is he's just a contested cash guy. Um, you know, that's what we keep hearing, just a contested cash guy, and that he had a, a high portion of his production on screens and contested catches, and people see those as sort of less earned targets in a sense. Um, and maybe so, like, I, you know, we, we've seen this in the past. I just think that the biggest thing people do is a lot of people overlearn recent lessons um, because people really struggle. And I talked about this in my most recent article for Player Profiler um, about, like, people overlearning lessons of busts they didn't predict. And I think people just really are uncomfortable with the idea of that a bet that was likely to hit didn't hit. And it's weird because this stuff happens, like, all the time in our daily lives right like i don't know think about like you go to the bus you, you go to catch a bus in the morning it's like what, what are there's always a percentage chance you know that it's going to show up right on time it's going to show up a little bit early it's going to show up a little bit late like you don't know you don't know when you walk in is it likely on on any given day that your bus is going to be 5 minutes late no it's not likely is that is it always possible though yes like do you then analyze when your bus was up 5 minutes late like why why on today, this random Tuesday, did it happen to be five minutes late? No, you don't. You're just like, oh, sometimes the bus is late, right? And sometimes sometimes good prospects bust. Like I I really think that's that's kind of all that it is. And so Mikhail Harry is a guy who's like lives just like rent free in the minds of the fantasy community now, two years later. And the book on him was that, you know, we were fooled into this fake good analytical profile because all he was good at is contested catches and then the contested catches don't translate into the NFL. And like it can both be possible that Nikhil Harry failed because he couldn't separate, and that we shouldn't just apply that now to like all new wide receivers. Like I I just like honestly, if Nikhil Harry came out again and I didn't know how his career would grow, I would draft him again. Like he was a good prospect and and just like random stuff happens. Like I I wouldn't expect round six running backs like Elijah Mitchell to come out and be a top twenty-four back in their first year. I wouldn't expect that to happen. But at the same time on aggregate, we know that that will happen. Like, we just don't know exactly who it's going to be. Just like you know that if you catch the same bus every day for a month, you know that sometimes it's going to be five minutes late. You just don't know which day it's going to be. And, and that's really what happened, I think, with Harry. And so with London now, people have adapted this. I think that it's, it's faulty on a couple counts. Like, number one, people are just overweighting the separation thing. Like, yeah, of course separation matters in the NFL. But, like, most players who can't separate and can't get open and don't get drafted in the first round, like, Right, like most of them are just bad, and then the NFL tells us they're bad by not drafting them. Like people ask, like draft capital isn't a film metric. Like draft capital is a film metric. The, the whole reason why analytical models can have an edge is because the NFL isn't using them. Like if the NFL just used analytical models and then drafted wide receivers based on pre-draft analytical models, then ours would have zero edge whatsoever. Um, the only reason is because the analytical models do a good job of saying, like, okay, here's. The type of players that produce better for fantasy based on the draft capital they're afforded, and London London is one of those. Um, and then the other issue is specifically people always talk about the percentage of contested catches and screens, and I understand that inclination, but what people should look at is like what production is left behind, right? Like London wasn't just meeting thresholds prior to his injury; he was like destroying thresholds. Like, as you said, he was almost at a four yards per team pass attempt. Like, that's almost in Devonte Smith level um, destroying. So, if you take away every single one of his contested catches from his season, he would have still been second in receptions per game in America. Right? Like, if he just dropped every contested catch, if they never gave him a single contested target, right? So, it's like, is he winning in ways that are contested? Is he getting screens? Sure. But that's not the only aspect of the profile, and so I think it's very silly when people throw up like, "Oh, he had a 27% like contested rate. Here's other players with a 27% contested rate." But like 27% of 88 receptions is not the same as 27% of 45 receptions. Like you can just chop them off; he's still really darn good. And again, a lot of this is baked into why people are going to draft London really highly in the NFL draft because. This context already gets baked into draft capital. And I just think it's like largely very silly um, that people have looked at this high rate of contested. Like, I swear to God, if he just received less contested targets from like, Keaton D. on Slovis, then people would have less of an issue with him because he would have a lower percentage. He would have less production, but he would still meet all the thresholds anyways. And then this argument wouldn't exist. And that's an absurdist conclusion. Like if you're, if your conclusion is based on a percentage of targets that are contested, When we play out that assertion to the point where you would actually grade someone higher if they earned less targets or caught less of the targets that they earned, then your assertion is is absurd.
1: I think I think that's a really excellent and poignant point of being able to make it. And mostly, you know, you had our Drake line was charted by PFF with 28 contested targets in 2021. So if you just take those away, like you were saying, that's still 91 targets in a season, which is still fucking absurd. Especially on an eight-game clip, right? Like most most college players don't see 91 targets in a full 13, 14 games, let alone eight games. So like, yeah, I it's easy to say he's a contented he's a contested catch type of guy, but you know, looking back in his soft, junior and sophomore seasons, he was forty percent contested catch rate at twenty nineteen and a fifty percent contested contested catch rate twenty twenty. So it really isn't that big of a factor. It's just one of those like, again. It's one of those things that people choose to hyper focus on instead of rationalizing and, and saying what Drake London is able to do and what he does exceptionally well. It's like, well, you know, he has a tendency to have a contested catch, rate, which, by the way, he does fucking well with. Like, it's one thing. Yeah, he he's really ass efficient on contested yeah. catches. He's exceptionally really good. good. So, like, it's a good thing that he's good at contested catches, and it's probably why he has so many contested catches. Because, like you said, he does is like almost like almost a fucking
2: fuck it and chuck it, and then Drickland's like, hold my beer, I got this. You know,
1: like it's, yeah. it's an absurd thing.
2: And, and also, like the NFL team will know this. I mean, we don't know until the NFL draft. Like, NFL teams are certainly known to take players that they have no idea how they're going to use. Like, that happens. But at this point, like, we can at least be a little bit hopeful that I'm an NFL team looking there, right? Like, NFL teams aren't drafting in a fantasy vacuum, right? Like, if I, if I was running an NFL team, and I was like, man, what I really need for my offense is, like, a great separator then I would take Garrett Wilson over Drake London. Um, the hope is that, you know, an NFL team that drafts Drake London will be like, I want to try and use Drake London in a way that he's used best. I want to be able to use him in contested catch situations. I want to be able to get him the ball on screens, you know, and do everything else. I mean, we'll see. I, I guess the worry is, is that if his, like, route-running ability just ends up being too rudimentary, it's definitely within his range of outcomes that he becomes, like, a Mike Williams or, like, a Marvin yeah. Jones, where he's just kind of, like, a 20% target share Throw it up, guy, but he doesn't develop into that all around receiver. But I mean, that's like that's a risk with anybody. Like I, I I really think it's unlikely that London straight busts. I think that that's kind of his downside. It's just being like a fringy wide receiver two three, that is like mostly used as like a sort of like the boring X receiver that just like gets a lot of post ups. Um, and that would be that would be unfortunate. Like it would certainly not be worth the cost of admission if that happens. But. I mean, that's that's the risk with anybody. Like, I, I don't think that there's any receiver in this class that's just, like, immune to not being a 25% target share alpha top 12 dynasty wide receiver. Like It's not really the expectation.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, like, when it comes down to rookie rankings, I think if you're ranking based on floor, you you're doing it wrong. Because if you want a floor, you just trade for four. Like, if that's what you want, just trade it. You have a higher hit rate of hitting it, and then you have more certainty what you have. And so, you know, if we have Jamison Williams as a top-tier wide receiver, like, his floor is pretty fucking scary to be completely honest you got one season yeah, of dominance and so like it's it's difficult to say you know like we we've seen what he could deliver but it's just it can't he deliver that so i think you know i think how you, what you said that the downside of london still at least going to be serviceable under teams It's just unfortunate for where you're going to have to acquire him which is I, I i i cheated a little bit usually i try not to go and look, do a ton of information research on players before i do podcasts just so kind of mm. i can Formulate opinions relatively fresh, and so they're not overturned. But Angelo on Twitter, which if you guys don't follow him, then please do. He's one of the another one of the guys that like I truly trust in like their perspective and how they view things. And he mm-hmm. put out a a post on Sky Moore, and this dude was just fucking electric. I I, I got Doug Baldwin vibes from him, like the, mm-hmm. his stop starting, his ability to like separate. It's incredible. Angelo said he like a ninety-nine percent, like a ninety percent uh ten yard split. It was like sub one wow. second. Yeah. He is like a it was like sub a second. It was incredible. And That's so, cool. you know, uh and also apparently Sky was a quarterback coming into college. So he transitioned to a wide receiver and he's just fucking lane deep schlong everywhere and anywhere. eight hundred and two yards his rookie his uh freshman season, his his best season with his good.
2: I was just gonna say, like, when did Western Michigan decide, like, that this was their, this was gonna be their move, like, that they were going to just take DBs and convert them to wide receiver? Because this is Eskridge too. This is two straight years we've had a Western Michigan wide receiver who converted from defensive back.
1: It must be. It must, been, it must one of those things where like, well, way
2: better than Eskridge, by the way.
1: Yeah, it must <laughs> be the things where it's like, well, if Eskridge worked, then why does it just keep trying? Like, I don't, I don't know who the defensive backs coach is, but he just may be bad, and so they're just like send him over to the wide receiver corps because our defensive back coach can't coach anyone up. Uh, Skymore's best season was his junior season 125 targets, 94 receptions, 1,291 yards. He was at 10.3 yards per target, 13 yards per reception. He had 10 10 touchdowns, 534 yards after the catch for a clip of 5.7 yards per uh, yards after the catch per reception, 3.4 yards per route run. The dude was just fucking electric on all levels. What gets you excited about Sky Moore, and is he one of those guys for you, Jacob, that you would be willing to take in the second round, where most of us are going to be slamming
2: running backs? I'll probably take him in the first round. (laughs) (laughs) I get (laughs) it. If I'm being being totally honest with you. Um, Yeah, I mean, Sky Moore freaking rocks. He does everything that we want. Uh, he again, like I'm I kind of this like pretty analytically, so I don't really have a whole lot of like film takes on these guys. I, I've watched like London was on my college fantasy team, so I can actually like give you film takes on London that no one should care about because I've like just watched like every one of his games. But um, Sky Moore actually knocked me out, so I'm on the other side. I'm in this C to C league, uh, and I made the finals, and then Sky Moore basically ended my championship hopes before they started by having I think four touchdowns on like a Wednesday. Um, and it was it was really terrifying uh and that, that was kind of like the, that was like when I just barely heard of Skymore and then I started diving in I was like who's this guy that ruined my life and I was like oh my god this guy's profile is really good and then I wasn't that sure he would get drafted I didn't think he was even going to declare because group of five players never declare early even Corey Davis who was at the same school Western Michigan who ended up being you know a top five pick he did not declare early and so Interestingly, I had this conversation with Alfred Fernandez on my show. He's just a really, really awesome Debbie mind. And we were sort of talking about these power five guys that power five, uh, players, ten, or sorry, group of five players just tend to not have a great hit rate in the early rounds compared to the power five players. actually have a higher one in the later rounds, but, um, and you know, we were saying like, is this a potential double count issue where, uh, you know, we know that early declare, uh, at least most of us know. That's apparently being really litigated on Twitter. But is it? yeah, are we jetpack. pretending that's not a thing? Jetpack is really going after it. But oh, cool. um, so mo well, anyone who's like looked through the data knows that early declare for early round picks is a big plus. It's not that late declares don't hit or anything like that, but it late early declares hit at a higher rate in rounds one, two, and three. Um, and because these group of five players just tend not to declare early, uh, you know. Maybe, maybe that's why these group of five players keep not hitting because people keep seeing these twenty two year old group of five players dominate against a bunch of future mechanics and accountants that are like nineteen and then they overdraft them and then they're bad and like that's what we saw with Eskridge last year um, that's what we're gonna see with probably Jalen Tolbert this year mm-hmm. um, but Sky Moore is not that Sky Moore played against you know with Eskridge who like I don't like as an NFL player but he got drafted in round two is obviously a very capable college player. Still have a second-year breakout, beside Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, and then this year, had just a phenomenal season. I mean, he really checks all the boxes. To, to me, like now, especially seeing that he seems walked into round two capital in the NFL draft, um, I, I, I think Sky Moore could potentially be as high as wide receiver five in my rankings. Um, like, to me, I, I think it's like a clear top four for me of Burks and London and Wilson and Jamison Williams. And then, like, I-, I could make a case for Skymore to, like, push Olave and Dotson and Pickens into that tier to potentially be at the top of it. because like, I just don't know what box he doesn't check. And I really love the idea, and especially in today's game, these guys that can win as a slot or as a flanker that are able to um, get separation easily, are able to get catches and rack up volume. Like, he strikes me as a guy who could be, like, a Deontay Johnson-style upside in the NFL. And that's a wide receiver I like. You know, we, we see now in recent years, like the old prototypical alpha wide receivers that we would salivate over, we've seen a bit of a change in the guard. We see guys like Elijah Moore, like Devontae Smith, who look like total studs, Jalen Waddell, um, you know, even, even going to the previous couple of years with Deontay Johnson and Marquise Brown. And, and just, we're, we're really seeing a new type of wide receiver. So I'm, I'm excited for, for Sky a lot. And my biggest question on him was, does he have the athleticism coming from a small program? Will he actually get the draft capital? And him crushing the combine and then crushing the drills and getting that draft capital—that's us I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, I love that. And I'm just while well, we were talking, I was, I forgot,
1: or I was surprised Skymore was only five nine and a half. But you know, there's statistical bins and such that wide receivers that are smaller than six feet aren't as likely to hit, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, like again, players are able to happen, and what Skymar has been able to do has been quite honestly impressive, especially coming yeah. out younger. They're, you know, he has a 30th or 50th percentile burst score, 25th percentile agility score, a 60th percentile or no, 66th percentile speed score, um, according to player profiler. Breakout age of age 20, you know, doing all these things that you kind of like to see. Had a dominator rating of 20 his freshman year, which I thought was really impressive and kind of exciting. Um, and, you know, like I think when we're looking at it, SkyMore to he offers, he's basically like a discount. Chris Olave in my personal opinion you know like I think mm. if you like Olave then you should also like Sky more and you should probably rank Sky more similarly to what Chris Olave can bring granted Olave's got a little better athleticism and that's more important than are talking about smaller players but I mean they're they're essentially a, a, a similar clones of each other prototypes and such and I just like you said, there's not much more to say about Sky Moore. quite frankly. He is a good player. He's going to get day two draft capital, and he's going to go to a team that's just going to absolutely smash faces and take people's lunch money. Honestly, like, I, he is, I, I have very minimal concerns with him. Are there any concerns you have other than, like, just he's a G5 guy that you that you that you're kind of,
2: like, pondering with him? No, not really. Like, I just, I can't get him into, like, that top tier, because it's just, a guy who's going to probably be drafted round two from Western Michigan, who's small, um, over, you know, guys that were equally productive and dominant uh, in, like, the SEC or the Big Ten. But, uh, beyond that, after we get through that tier, like, everybody has some sort of question. Even Jameson Williams has some question marks for me. I I just think his ceiling is, like, ethically high. Um, And then, you know, beyond that, yeah, like, Alave and Dotson are late declare guys. I think that they're Floor is like probably higher, but I'm not sold that they have a really elite ceiling. Um, and we, we know that, that the idea of like these high floor seniors is kind of the fouls because they actually bust at like a pretty high rate. And then, yeah, like Sky Moore versus like Pickens, like I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people that are really on Pickens and I, I like Pickens too. But to me, a lot of the reasons like Pickens, it's like, okay, he's big, he's got the athleticism, he had the really early breakout in the SEC. I, I get all that, but like, his floor is zero. Like, he he hasn't produced meaningfully in two years, right? I mean, he never really produced meaningfully. He had a he had a breakout freshman season, which is a breakout because it's scaled down. But his best season is not all that awesome. Like, people talk about Pickens, I think, which is way more optimism than they talked about a Rondale Moore last year. Because Pickens looks like what people's vision is of an elite alpha wide receiver. And Rondale Moore looks like a jitterbug. But they actually had a lot in common, right? They had this, like, really big breakout freshman season. Rondell was way way better, actually. And then, you know, then kind of like a middling second year and injuries and whatever have you. So I think the floor on Pickens is that he sucks. Uh, I don't think that he sucks, but I I think, like, that's a legitimate outcome. I think it's very unlikely that Sky Moore is bad. You know, does he end up becoming a difference maker or does he end up being more of, like, a Tyler Boyd, Jarvis Landry type of guy? You know, that's possible. But we just saw We kind of had this conversation with Elijah Moore last year, too. And the thing is, is, like, a lot of what we're doing with rookie wide receiver drafting is we're building in value inflation. So, like, a rookie wide receiver does not have to show that much to be able to get cashed out. Like, if you drafted Elijah Moore last year, even if you decide, you know what, like, I'm going to just cash out now, I mean, you can, you can cash out Elijah Moore for a lot. Like, like, he's going up in the range of top 15 dynasty wide receivers off of pretty much a four-game stretch. Um, so, you know, even if Sky Moore does not come out and have, like, a super dominant season, As long as he shows enough flashes, people are going to want to buy into those sophomore breakout options, and you're going to be able to sell him at a major profit. And I think he's one of the guys of that tier who's most likely to accrue a lot of value in their rookie season because he just checks all the boxes that we look for as a rookie wide receiver.
1: Yes. I'm just going to say there just yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he had almost two yards per team pass attempt his freshman season. He finished his best season in 2020 with 2.51. He's. A career average of 2.2. You know, he is going to be the next Doug Baldwin esque wide receiver. And there's a time and a place, and, you know, like that's not necessarily what you mm-hmm. want to be drafting, what you want to hope for your wide receivers. But if you draft someone and they give you that production, then there's still that floor to run off of. And like you said, that's an opportunity to kind of twist and flip and continue bettering your team by getting guys similar value, adding picks onto it, because he's a young, flashy name that everyone's wearing rose colored glasses with. And I while we're on the topic of smaller guys, we're going to talk about a guy who is about an inch in some change shorter and just has a much different style about him. that's gonna be Wandale Robinson. He came in hot and he has a really impressive analytical profile to be completely really honest with you. He spent two years in Tennessee and didn't really do a whole or didn't was basically mismanaged and misused. He transferred to Kentucky. And him and Will Nebraska, Levis... Nebraska, initially. Nebraska. Thank you, Nebraska. Yeah. My apologies. He transferred to Kentucky, and him and Will Levis just basically dropped long for for, for for 13 games. There's, they're, like, the best friends ever. Uh, the only or the biggest knock on Mondale Robinson right now is that he's 5'8", and he's 178 pounds, and he wasn't that impressive from, like, an athletic standpoint. So does his analytical and, like, production profile outweigh those issues that, like... There's only two wide receivers that are five eight or shorter that have been elite in NFL, or in fantasy football and Steve Smith and Tyreek Hill. Like how are you how are you finding the difference between those two major standpoints right now?
2: Yeah, so I warned you before the show that I was gonna be very boring at talking about sleepers, especially wide receivers, because uh like my answer for most of the guys that are in the sleeper category is like, well, it depends on what their draft capital is. Um and that's how I feel about Wandale. So like again, we we sort of have like a double rule out process is how I look at analytical models. So like you know we look at we look at the analytics, things we look at the, with the production based data and we say okay does this guy meet our thresholds yes or no and with Wandale, it's like a massively resounding yes like if I just bring up the chart of like your weighted dominator your uh, yards per team pass attempt receiving yards market share whatever statistics you want to use and he'd throw a little, like, campus-to-camping graphic by year, like, Wandale Robinson will look like possibly the best wide receiver in the class, like, if you just look at that on a on a vacuum. And the fact that all of that production was done in the Big Ten and in the SEC, part of it was done while playing with like, this disgusting hybrid role. And then, you know, he has a ridiculously dominant season in the SEC. Like, if we're just literally just looking at a vacuum at the production, we're not factoring in what he looks like, how short he is, everything else, like, his season is the same season, essentially, as Jameson Williams, but with way better production year one and year two. Um, so I love Wandale. The issue is, like I said, it's a double rule-out process. We have plenty of examples of wide receivers who look great from an analytical lens. And then the NFL says, no, actually, this guy sucks. Uh, and usually, they're correct. Uh, like we often have this gut reaction to say like oh the nfl doesn't know what they're doing they drafted this guy the wrong way and it's actually the opposite it's like we shouldn't look at it we shouldn't look at our analytical models and say like this is the exact order that the nfl should draft in because again if that happened we would have no edge like what this is is, is it's, a, it's a filter that we place upon draft capital to say subject to draft capital these are the guys who profile most like fantasy creatures like it's not about good or bad it's about looking at positive indicators of future fantasy production and Wandale has those. That being said, uh, like if, if he does go round four, round five, you know, that kind of, that kind of solves out everything else. Right. And that's the biggest issue with these five, eight guys. There are just not a lot of five, eight players that get drafted highly. Um, and, you know, now I think people are especially down on Wandale because of what happened with Rondale last year. I mean, first of all, we don't even know how Rondale Moore's career is going to end up. Like, he had one year, and it wasn't, like, a totally hopeless year. He didn't, like, 2 too at well. He didn't, I mean, he had, like, a significantly better year than, like, Terrace Marshall, right? Like, I, I don't think that there's zero hope for Rondale Moore at all. I, I don't, like, know that I think it's likely that he ends up hitting. But, I mean, Christian Kirk's out of there now. He was earning a lot of targets on his routes. Uh, he's going to probably run more routes. Um, hopefully, they add a boundary wide receiver. They play Rondale on the slot full time. And then we'll see what happens, you know? It's, it's definitely not out of the question to me that in two years we look back and say, like, why would we ever have faded someone for comparing to Rondale Moore? Which is part of the reason we should just not compare people to singular comps. It's ridiculous. So, all in all, I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, again, this is like the theme of everything that I'm saying, because a lot of this gets solved by draft capital. Why, why are there so few short players in the NFL? Because most short players don't succeed in the NFL. Does that mean that if the NFL drafts a short player in round two that they won't succeed? Probably not, because probably the NFL looks at that player and says, wow, you have a lot of special qualities. That most players do not at your size, we think you can play, and so we're going to draft you in round two. I I, Wondell right now is his mock draft data is right kind of on the edge of round three and round four, and ultimately that's going to determine a lot for me. Like if he ends up being a day two pick, I'm going to be like pretty all in on him. If he goes like round four, round five, I'm I'm probably not. Like I would love to be a guy that's like it's kind of different for me with, with. wide receiver than, than running back in that respect where I would love to be the guy to say, hey, great. He'll go even cheaper. But most of the time it just doesn't work out that way for every Amon Ross St. Brown who looked like he was way better in, in from an analytical perspective and then fell. And then he hit anyway. There's far more like Kylan Wallace's right. Who yeah. Looked like a pretty good prospect. Miles Boykin ends up in round four. Hour and then all of a sudden, you know, just doesn't do anything and he's bad. And the NFL is right. They are usually right. So, yeah, long story short, I think if Wandale gets drafted, and he's the one where it's the opposite of what I was saying with Rashad. I actually really do hope Wandale gets drafted highly, because right. I think if he gets drafted round two or round three, that because of his height, because of people's fear of him being like Rondale, I don't think he's going to be drafted efficiently. I, I will be like well, well, well above the field. He would be right in that tier for me with Skymore and Pickens and Dotson and Lava I think that's unlikely. I think it's more likely he ends up going like round four, round five, and we never really talk about him again. And at that point, like, will his ADP be attractive enough for me to take some shots? Yes. But I'd probably rather be drafting running backs in that range.
1: The, or, the NFL Mock draft database currently has Bondale Robinson as a third-round projection with an overall of pick 78. The most would rec- ecstatic. If ecstatic, right. right? It would be, it'd be phenomenal. Uh, the most recent mock was done on the 10th of March by yep. Walter Football. Um, and this fucking asshole, which, if I, have heard, I'm pretty sure this, Walter Wall is like the, just the douchiest of douches. Just uh, the worst. Yeah, he's the worst. And he has Juan Day Robinson Mach 30 to the Chiefs. Um, so. Oh uh, my god. I mean, if Walter that happens. Walter, if you ever get one right, man. Uh, uh, Walter. <laughs> one and, time. One time. Uh, yeah. I'm just gonna shit on you, Walter, and then if you have problems, yeah. you can just come step into my DMs, because I have yeah. no problems telling guys like you to fuck right off. Uh, well, one time yeah. be right, Walt. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, if there is a time to be right, like Juju and Wanda Robinson and Tyreek and Kelsey on the Chiefs would just be honestly borderline illegal and definitely would send many people to the hospital because they would have boners for longer than four hours. Uh, I I mean, all nails hardened but productive. Yeah. It's, oh, God, that's a beautiful That's a beautiful thing right there. But I mean, what you're saying is true, right? Like, draft capital is the end all be all because it ultimately gives us the best glimpse. Into what we, what the NFL thinks of a player. And that's why you're more inclined to root for wide receivers getting high draft capitals because they don't necessarily have the same uh, opportunities come arise as constant as running backs do. Because running backs is a high, there's a this reason it's a scarce position. It's because you have a lot of guys that are out of the league in two to three years, and there's a lot of injuries that happen due to the nature of their position. And there just isn't those aren't those opportunities for wide receivers, which is why you want guys drafted in the first three rounds. My question is though, is just because Amon Ross St. Brown was productive and Michael Carter looks like he may actually be a moderately suitable fantasy producer for year for a couple of years, are you going to kind of start to view early fourth round picks as like guys that you don't immediately write off
0: due to like the day three label? Um I
2: mean like I don't write anyone off, but it's just a matter of like trying to make the most probabilistically sound bet, right? And so like my my general take on on all these guys is that people just overrate the immediacy of the opportunity presented in general, and especially a running back. Like it uh, like like I, I said before with running back, it's just like okay, in a vacuum, what I rather have the early round four pick or the round three pick that's drafted into a spot where it looks like they can play right away versus the guy who might be third or fourth in the death chart. Like obviously yes. But the reality is, is like the ceiling case still depends on ability. The ability is unknown. And the fact is like being drafted into a better situation does not make, does not like show that the NFL values their ability any more or any less than just general draft capital does. So, like, if you see a running back drafted in the early fourth to, you know, um, Atlanta versus a a running back drafted in the early fourth to Tennessee, like, of course the Atlanta one's going to get drafted way, way higher because of the immediacy of the opportunity. But again, like, there's just not that much investment in a guy at this rate. Like, teams are not going to continue to force a player on the field that they don't think is good, that they didn't draft very highly. They're not going to do that. And yeah, like it's an easier to see the scenario for payoff, but it is, it is just so disproportionate that like small increase in probability versus the cost. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be, it's not as much about the draft capital, I guess, in terms of where I'll be writing guys off or where I'll be taking bets. It's it's just kind of comes down to the situation and how much people overvalue the situation. So the guys that I'll end up on are like uh, among the fourth round picks, like I'll end up with more of the guys that are in murkier situations that go much later than the guys who end up in much better situations. Because our expectation for all of these guys is that they are probably bad. Like most players that go in round four are probably not good. And the people that are getting pushed up by the situation, they're getting drafted far above what their talent level says. Like I want to be taking my shots at these guys on day three at at a price that's commensurate with their... Uh, with their talent level, which is probably not that high, and then I'm only buying the upside in that case. Like if I spend if I spend a late third on one of these guys, I'm only buying the upside, right? Like I'm, it's like okay, whatever. If it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. Didn't, it didn't cost me anything. I'm buying the upside that they're actually good and that fortune smiles on them, and that's fine. I'm will, I'm willing to eat a I'm willing to eat more barriers because the upside is essentially the same and the floor honestly is essentially the same. It's just like maybe the the distribution of that floor and that ceiling and the immediacy of it that's a little bit off, but these guys that get pushed up, like yeah, like it looks like Michael Carter might hit, but I still think Michael Carter was a terrible process kick, and, and and maybe he won't hit. Like he had a he had a solid rookie season, like he's still a guy that they took in round four last year. The Jets might sign Melvin Gordon tomorrow. Like we don't know what's gonna happen, um, and so it looks promising, but. Again, we should look at the denominator of these guys. Like, look like at Moss, look like at Vaughn, look like at Sermon. Like, most of these guys that get way pushed up are not the ones you should be taking. The guys who are the much better values based on their probable range of outcomes were other guys that were drafted in round four. Like, Ramondre Stevenson, Stevenson. Like, like, a guy like Khalil Herbert in round six. Or Elijah Mitchell in round six. Those were guys where it's like, oh, cool, these guys are probably, like, the same talent level as Michael Carter. They were all drafted, like, in the same general range, you know, or a Chuba or whatever. All these guys are probably bad. But if some of them are good, you know, maybe, um, you know, m- maybe we're actually able to just buy that upside. Oh, and if they suck, then they suck. It doesn't really matter. It didn't cost us anything. Versus Carter, where if he's sermoned, Like, that's a massive, massive miss. Like, Trace Sermon is a debilitating pick, right? Because your opportunity cost to take Trace Sermon in a lot of cases was, you know, Elijah Moore or Rhonda Delmore, or Terrace or Marshall, and Marshall's bad too, but if you're just drafting these guys, like you want to take the higher probability bets, and the higher probability bets in that range were the wide receivers versus Sermon and Carter.
1: And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to wrap up the wide receivers pretty much for the pre-draft process. We've gone through just about all of the major wide receivers that hold any water. There's going to be some guys that pop with the draft because they're always due. The ones mm-hmm. notably left off currently are Metsy, Tolbert, and where's one, one more wide receiver that I haven't hit yet. And we will hit on them eventually. But we're going to jump into quarterbacks in a little bit here so we're able to talk about that shit show and that circus. And then we're going to kind of come back and start talking about those guys that haven't fully been hit on just yet. And then we'll probably go drop into just the overall rookie process, bring on some guys that are real keen and smart, much like Jacob. Jacob, I got one question for you. Yeah, please. Maybe a couple more. Uh, how in depth, I mean you're in a C2C league, so you you're, you've been paying attention to the 2023 class, right? Yeah, of course. All right. So All right. I got a question from uh Super Moon Vibes on Twitter and he goes, you guys, it's a two-part. It goes, Crystal prediction, which conference produces the most picks in the 2023 draft? And then also, could it be possible that there are three quarterbacks selected in the 2023 draft? And then in parentheses, Stroud Young and Anthony Richardson out of Florida. So first class, first one first. Uh, why is the SEC going to produced the most draft picks in the 2023 drafts? And why is it always the SEC?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I like to the extent that I've studied the 2023 class, I've studied their wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks. I know absolutely nothing about like linemen and defensive players. Yeah. So, so, in terms of like which conference is going to have the most picks, like, I couldn't answer that because 70% of the players will be drafted in the first round I've never heard of and play positions that I don't focus on. But it will probably be the SEC. <laughs> because yep. because the SEC recruits all the best athletes, and they recruit the best players, and then their players get drafted highly. So, I with zero supporting information, I will say the SEC. As for the quarterbacks, uh, Anthony Richardson, that's an interesting one. I, I don't know that... Um, I'm not sure that I've seen like as much buzz. Certainly Stroud and Young. Um, I think if I had to guess, and it really is a guess because after that it's quite ambiguous, and a lot of quarterbacks like drastically alter their stock in year three and year four, like we just saw with guys like Howell and Rattler versus guys like Pickett, um, you know, who came out of freaking nowhere, right? Um, I would say uh, Will Levis probably has a pretty good shot at being a third quarterback off the board. Uh, I think I think he I think he had a pretty impressive year this year. He's going to get a lot of primetime opportunities in the SEC to show his stuff. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like Matt Corral from last year, where he was a guy who was the SEC quarterback. Everybody knew he was kind of on the radar. But he had that opportunity to really step forward again in his senior year. And I'm excited to see what Levis puts together this year. I think it's possible that he's a, a first-round quarterback option. But, I mean, this 2023 class, like, Stroud and Young are fun. But the, the I mean, the, what really sets this class apart is – Is we're going to get like kind of a 2020 esque running back room again, where like we're going to, we could potentially see like five to six running backs that are really worthy of a round one rookie pick. And that's Mm -hmm. just so awesome because it's going to push. I mean, do you remember in 2020 drafts, like how late some of the stud wide receivers were going? Right. And similar last year, not as much because of running backs, but because of quarterbacks, right? Because we had those five quarterbacks. And so it's pushing like your Smiths and your Waddles and your Batemans and all these guys into like the one-two turn. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're just not getting this year. That's that's the biggest fall off with of this class is that this wide receiver class is like just as good, in my opinion, as 2020 and 2021, albeit without a Jamar Chase at the top. But all of them are getting pushed up. Like we're going to have to draft London and Burks and Wilson probably with like picks three, four, five. Um, because after Hall and after Willis, there's just no running backs or quarterbacks that people are like super super excited to go draft at the one three one four and when you don't have those high scarcity positions that are filling the first half of the first round then all of a sudden you know instead of drafting guys like London and Wilson and Burks who would usually be late firsts now all of a sudden your late firsts are guys like you know Pickens and Alave and Dotson who would usually be early seconds. Um, and it's it's the it's the it's the dearth of quarterbacks and running backs that are sort of making the wide receivers worse values than they usually are in this class. That will not be the case next year. Like I i I'm, I have like 10 guys that I think uh, I will rate higher than the 103 in this year's class. Like I, I think we can go pretty deep. Like we're, we're gonna have yeah. um like we're gonna have Young and Stroud, of course. I yeah. mean the running backs just look glorious. Like we're gonna have Bijan Robinson, of course, up top. And then I look forward to many debates after that. But in whatever order you like them right now, or or will eventually, I mean we'll have Evans, we'll have Gibbs, we'll have Bigsby, we'll have Tucker. Uh, you know, some people like that, like, people who will never play in the NFL like Deuce Vaughn. Israeli, um, <laughs> really body Konda, out of pit. Yeah. He got, is really please. You got tons of dudes. And then the wide yeah. receivers. Nobody's talking about the wide receivers, but, like, Jackson Smith Najiba looks like he's going to be a better prospect than anyone in this class. He literally mm-hmm. outproduced two of the top four wide receivers in this year's class while being younger than them. Two years younger mm-hmm. than them. Uh, I mean, Keishan Butte looks awesome. and like, I don't know why Jordan Addison gets so much disrespect. Um, he plays I, guess cause he's, I guess because he's skinny. But yeah. um, I mean, he's awesome. Like Kenny Pickett was total trash his entire college career, and then Addison carried him to the top half <laughs> of the first round on his back like a Greg <laughs> Jennings, and now he gets Keaton slowest. He gets the guy who like focused on London with like a forty percent target share. Yeah. Um. So I'm 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 like I'm like a big Addison stand. I I think his production's off the charts, and it's weird to me that. When it was Devontae Smith who played for Alabama, everyone was like, "Oh, it's fine. That he's skinny. We don't care." But now, because it's a super productive wide receiver from Pitt, everyone's like, "Oh, he's skinny. He's bad." Uh-huh.
1: So yeah, it's it's the, the helmet plays a major role in a lot of these debates, right? Yeah. And
2: you also got a uh, you got Pitt and Johnson
1: out of TCU. I don't know if anyone's ready to get yeah. hurt another TCU yeah, wide receiver. And then I'm ready. I'm ready to get her. I, I fuck Jalen Rager, but I'm ready to get her to get my TCU. You got Parker yeah. Washington out of Penn State, and then you got Raheem Jarrett out of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Just the dude that's continuously been like teasing everyone for two and a half years. He's probably gonna have like day three, day four, or day two, day three pick. Yeah, we know sure that there's
2: gonna be just like random, like two random receivers out of Ohio yep. State and Alabama that we haven't heard of yet that will
1: absolutely pop two rounds. Absolutely, I'm sure Julian Fleming will do some dumb shit and everyone's gonna be all up in his uh, Jarvis Harrison Jr. Less. 2024, I can't wait for that young man. And yeah. then uh, Jermaine Burton out of he's definitely gonna get the Bama bump, he's the next headed. These people are just gonna yeah. be- Who the fuck is this guy? Like, oh, that's why he's this fucking gangster. Uh, And then I think also Mooney, the two guys I would pay attention to would be DJU. He played quarterback for Clemson at 260 pounds, and like I don't understand how in today's day and age anyone could rationally say that's like Jamarcus level. That is literally Jamarcus level. That is the least rational thing. He's dropped down to 220, 230 right now. He's looking better in camp. So I think if he has a good year in year three, you could see him kind of pushed up to that wide or the quarterback three point uh will levis is another great one hendon hooker out of
2: tennessee is gonna be a popular oh, yeah. although one although he's that one's that one's interesting though I'm, interesting. I'm i'm so I'm gonna be conflicted like I, I'm a Tennessee fan so I, I love Hendon Hooker but um I mean he'll be like if he if he gets pushed up like that's like I I can't imagine anyone more alarm bells. Like, he's like a, yeah. word, he's going to be a sixth year senior.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I view,
2: I mean, it's not a good comparison, but I view if,
1: if Desmond Ritter gets first round draft capital, NFL draft, then I think it's likely that Hooker probably could sneak in some pick 32, pick 31 draft capital. It, it But either way, it's the 2022 wide receiver class may be the deepest that we see in the next little bit, but the top heaviness of the 2033 class just kind of bolts it above, which is why you're, you've been hearing people for the last. Year to year and a half saying, Oh, go buy 2023 picks, go buy 2023 picks. Like, mm-hmm. There is some rhyme to that reason. Uh, but I eventually, Jacob, as much as I love doing this, we are going to have to wrap up just because I think people are about done and we've gone mm-hmm. over that time threshold. For yeah, you mean attention. people
2: aren't like really begging for Hendon Hooker takes? Yeah, I know. it's into a podcast um, it's, in a draft class that he's not going to be in and who might be like a day three pick. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's bizarre. It's bizarre. A uh, lot uh, people want that. I, I, you know, there's just things I don't understand, and that's one of them. Jacob, thank you so much, man. You were definitely in the running for my favorite Canadian. You and Corey are the guys that are my undisputed Canadian goats. Uh, thank you so much for coming out here, man. If there are any hot takes you've got stewing in that brain of so yours, let them ride, and we'll sign off.
2: Yeah, just uh, get Rashad White drafted on day two. We didn't get to talk about running backs, but get him drafted day two. He checks literally every single box that we should want in running back prospect. He has the size. He has the athleticism. He has the pass-catching. He has the production. He has the efficiency on his side. He's a little old, but we don't have to care about that. Um, running back, too, too much. Uh, and if he goes on day two, um, then then, uh, then Rashad White will be a better dynasty pick than Kenneth Walker. That's my hot take.
1: You love to see it here, folks. Everyone, thank you so much. You can find Jacob on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. I nailed that, right? Yeah, you sure did. Run the nine uh, ball. Thank you guys so much for your time. You can find me on Twitter at the FF Salmon. Again, if you have any questions or suggestions, slide into those DMs, talk shit, let me get hit, and then we'll keep it running. Your time's valuable, it means that you spend it with us. So thank you so much for that. Please, as always, check in on your loved ones, make sure they know they are known. And then take care of yourself. Take care of your mental, because there's only one person's gonna do that. Next week. Have a blessed day. Have a beautiful day. Do something great. I'll see you next time. Peace.